Hello everyone, this is Brandon Ellis with Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to, and I'm your host. Today, we're going to be talking about motion control, rotary and linear motion. So, join us. Hey everybody, this is Brandon again. So I'm here with Beth Elliott, our marketing manager. Hey Beth. Hey Brandon, how's it going today? Going great. And so we're talking about some more advanced topics today. True that, yeah. I'm going to be a little bit lost today, so bear with me. (laughs) Hey, it's just rotary and linear. I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah, right. So Before we get into the topic, mm Mm-hmm. Do we have a new partner? We have a brand new partner, and I'm so excited about it. If you've been, if you follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, you probably know this already. So this is old news for you guys. But Hanwha Robotics and Hanwha is uh, uh, Hanwha is known uh, for many, many years. They've done in, in the injection mold, injection mold and plastic injection type uh, robots with our Cartesian type robots, but. They have a collaborative robot that we absolutely have loved uh, from the time we met it. That's been about a year and a half ago. And uh, we have been working with them through the pandemic and all those confines. And finally, everything's done. Every T's crossed. Every I's dotted. And we are uh, the official distributor here in the U.S. for Hanwha Robotics. And so we're extremely excited about that. So if you have a collaborative robot plan or action or curiosity, we want to invite you to get in touch with us. You can email us for a free demo and arrange that uh, at freedemo at elatech.com is the uh, dedicated email address for that. So uh, let us know who you are, speak out to us, and we'll be happy to talk with you some. But it, it's an exciting prod- it product. Is. Yeah, it's it's really cool robot. I was actually able to give it a little jog this morning. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> After all, collaborative robots are marketing person's dream <laughs> pastime so th- actually that speaks to the what we love about it uh, we we talk about uh, how our mission statement as a company is to empower our customers and we do that by finding product pro- products that we feel like simplify and are are not as difficult as as many other platforms may be and so we feel like the Hanwha absolutely uh uh, speaks to that. And, and so it's just like today's topic, which is an advanced topic. And you and I always try to take advanced topics and kind of explain them in a simpler way. And we're going to try and do that today. You're very good at that. <laughs> well, we just, our last podcast, uh, we talked about, uh, we was kind of a, we came off our discussions about RPAs. Mm-hmm. And in the RPA discussion, kind of the last half of that, we talked about collaboratives. Uh, because of the path teach, it reminded me of what an RPA does, except RPAs have nothing. Robotic process automation has nothing to do with robots. Uh, but uh, uh, but it was a, it's a topic that we hear a lot, and so we wanted to bring that up, especially from an IoT standpoint. But uh, we talked a bit about the collaborative robots in our last session, so I encourage you to check that out and some of the things uh, that you can do with that. But this uh, spins off on that with... Uh, our Cartesian-based systems, which is single-axis or multi-axis XYZ Cartesian systems. And so there's different ways to do that. So our topic title today is, Beth? It is Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to rotate. That's right, because when we think of motors, 
most of us think of a spinning shaft. That's right. Yeah. And and that's an important thing. I mean, spinning shafts, we use them from all kinds of things. Uh, just uh, running the fan in our air conditioner uh, or in our exhaust fan in the bathroom. Sometimes those are very, very important. No, those are, those are rotary motors. Those correct? are just motors rotating. Okay. Okay. But now all of a sudden, what if we need to move something in a linear fashion? And so how do we do that? And that's the topic of today. It doesn't have to rotate. So motors are more than rotation. And so we're going to discuss a couple of ways to, to make that happen. All right. So do you want to get into uh, the couple types of rotary motors? There are a few types of motors in general, but most motors rotate, not all of them. Oh, okay. And so let's talk about the rotary ones. And so... What's a stepper motor? Stepper motors. Yeah. That's an example. And so so there's AC induction motors and standard DC permanent magnet or DC motors that, that are used for strictly rotation. So when I was talking about the exhaust fan motors or the... Uh, uh, the air conditioning, you know, fan type motors or pumps or, or even the, the motors that, that, that run your cordless drill and things of that nature. Those aren't the motors we're talking about. Those are just, just definite purpose motors that you just put a voltage or and a current to them and they, they spin at a rate. Uh, and, and that's it. We're talking more specifically about motion control type motors, which are motors that we can accurately control their speed and their position. And so sometimes with these types of motors, usually the the, plan, the the goal is to move the motor to a certain angle or degree accurately at an accurate speed and then stop it there and then maintain that position until we tell it to move again. And so that that's really what we call uh, a closed loop system or an open loop system, but stepper motors are the usually the open loop. They can be closed loop, but the open loop uh, way of doing that. And servos are another, uh, brushless uh, DC and AC servo motors. So let's talk about, you mentioned stepper motors. Yeah, yeah. So what what's the advantage or the, what's the construction of a stepper motor? Well, I'll just mention a few terms. So let me, let me, let me roll through those. Because so, open loop and closed loop. Open loop and closed loop, yeah. Yes, so, so open loop. I put the blindfold on me. Okay. You're standing there. All right. And I say, take a step forward. I don't know if you took the step or not. I, you didn't say anything after you say, okay, I took a step. You didn't do anything. So for me, that's open loop. Okay. I can't see what you're doing. You can hear what I'm asking you to do, uh, but I have to assume that you're doing it. Now, if I say take four steps and you, after three steps, you're up against the wall. Mm-hmm. So where you can't take the fourth step. I don't know that. Yeah. So that's an open loop system. Open loop meaning there's no feedback device to tell me, the, the, the controller, the one commanding the motion, that you took this step. Okay. Now if all of a sudden, with or without the blindfold, uh, or if I take the blindfold off and I tell you to take a step and I watch you take the step, mm-hmm. then I know you took the step. But if I'm trying to get you up against the wall but not through the wall and I see you've got some space left, I'll say take another step. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, good enough. And we stop. So now I'm controlling you, and my eyes are the feedback. Okay. Okay? Or, or I could wear the blindfold, and you could tell me, I'm up against a wall. Okay, that's feedback. Or I took a step, step complete. Those, that's feedback. So through my ears are feedback. And so those are closed-loop systems that allow us to confirm what we've asked, the action that we've asked to do. Steppers have the innate ability to be either open or closed loop. Okay. Servo motors, which we'll get to in a minute, have to be closed loop. They have to have that feedback. They have to have the feedback. Okay. And so um, 
for practical purposes. Um, I'm sure there's some Oak Ridge National Lab, Department of Energy, Department of Defense stuff that they're working on that they may not always adhere to those. But for those of us that are in the industrial world, that's a good rule of thumb. So a stepper motor, how can it do that? Well, it comes down to the construction. Okay. So all, all step, both stepper motors and servo motors consist of uh, two parts, the rotor. That, that is where we derive the term rotate rotary. or okay. rotary, <laughs> which means it's spinning. Mm-hmm. So that's the center part of the motor, the, the shaft typically that turns. Uh, and on that shaft, we uh, adhere, glue, basically, uh, permanent magnets. Okay. And so a permanent magnet is just like a magnet on your refrigerator. Or even in science class, we have these little magnets, and we play around with them. And if you turn them one direction and put two together, they'll repel. And mm-hmm. if, if you turn it around, they'll snap together and that kind of stuff. They'll attract. So those we refer to as north and south poles. And so... Two same poles, north to north or south to south, will repel, but north to south will attract. And so that's how magnets work. And so these are just permanent magnet, uh, permanent magnets that are mounted on this shaft. Okay. And they're mounted in such a way that you have north-south, north-south alternating poles Okay. Um, beside each other in a circle. And so the second part of, a, of any motor is the stator. And stator is where we derive the term static, which means not moving. Oh, Okay. So the stator is the part of the motor that is the outside. And in there, we create magnets electrically. So if you, if you recall, some of you may recall your eighth grade science class taking uh, a wire and wrapping it around a nail and then apply voltage to it, hook it to a battery, basically. And then you could pick up other metal pieces with it become magnetized. And so what we're creating is electrical, we're using electrical current to create a magnetic field and that nail would become the magnet okay become magnetized and so that's how we create an, and it have a north and a south pole and so if we take a lot of these coils nails with wires around them basically okay. and stack them around in a circle on the outside of the of the rotor which spins then we can apply current in different directions to those coils and create a north and a south and a north and a south in alternating way and we can control that based upon the direction of the current. So if current's flowing one direction, it's north's on one end, south's on the other. And if it's flowing the opposite direction, then then those switch. Okay. And so in a stepper motor, the magnet on the rotor are very, very tightly stacked. So usually you have a magnet pole, a common design of a stepper, and there's various designs, but a common design is you have a pole every 1.8 degrees. That means you have 200 steps or poles per 360 degrees or per rotation. So if I want that motor to rotate 360 degrees and I'm using the full step of 1.8 degrees, then I would tell it 200 times to take a step. Oh, okay. And it would rotate, assuming... Assuming what? (laughs) Assuming, just like your scenario, that it doesn't hit a wall. Okay, okay. uh, We can assume that it will... take 200 steps, which would end it up right back where it started, 360 degrees okay. from a rotary standpoint. And so that that's the thing that steppers can do. We don't have to have any other devices on there other than just to tell it, take a step, take a step, take a step. And we can be sure that each time it would take a step in a full stepping, we can do tricks with controllers nowadays where we uh, can 
what's called micro steps. So we can take that 1.8 degree step and start taking smaller increments of it and things of that nature. What's the advantage of that? Well, you get you get more resolution. Okay. I mean, what if you need to take a step that's less than 1.8 degrees? Yeah. Then you can get you can get between poles now. Okay. So you get more resolution per per rotation, but but that's the thing that it it can do because it's got all these little poles. And and again with confidence, we can tell it take a step and it'll move there. The other thing that steppers do is they can achieve full holding torque at zero speed without any jitter. Oh, so they're steady. They're steady. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that'll make more sense when we're talking about the servos. Okay. Uh, the downfall of the stepper motor is that it gives you really high torque at low and zero speed. But as you start, because we're, we're trying to tell it step, step, step real fast. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it gets to a point where uh, the torque starts falling off with speed. And so usually we use steppers for lower speed, high torque applications, uh, especially if we need the open loop scenario. What, what uh, scenario would that be? A lot of times we use open loop in situations where um, electronics aren't viable. And so electronics are required oh, for feedback. Encoders. Encoders oh, okay. are electronic devices. Uh, and if it's uh, the one thing I think about is a radioactive even low-level radioactive environment, you can't put the, the electronics won't survive in that. But a motor will, and okay. permanent magnets and coils will. And so we can use an open-loop stepper system in a radioactive environment, uh, assuming that it does what it's supposed to do. And, and that's actually quite common okay. in those environments. Uh, but again, your speed begin, your torque begins to drop off exponentially, as your speed goes up, and, and we start thinking in terms of that drop-off of torque being about somewhere between 9 to 10 revs per second, which would be at 10 revs per second, that's 60 RPMs, revs per minute. Okay. And so more people think in terms of minute, revs per minute, RPMs yeah. than second. But uh, So it's not very fast, uh, and that's where at 10 revs per, per second – your torque is already dropped off significantly according to the design of the motor. So again, the concept being if you need high torque at low speeds and then when you say stop, it stops. That is a stepper and then you can do open loop or closed loop. Uh-huh. So you can put an encoder on a stepper motor and certainly you can put an encoder on anything that rotates and if your controller is capable it can of controlling whatever's rotating, it can control based upon a position feedback sensor. So you can do that with steppers. We do that really commonly because steppers also are typically lower cost motors compared to servos. Okay, okay. So the limitations are that uh, it's low speed. If you needed something for a high speed, what would you pick for that? Well, and you got to take the other side of that, high speed and high torque. And Okay. That's where a servo rotor servo motor comes into play. And so it's similar similar construction, stator with windings on the outside and rotor with permanent magnets on the shaft. But those magnets are much stronger, much larger. Uh, Your poles are not really as close together as as a, a stepper motor. But we are going to always have a feedback device. In this case, an encoder. Okay. And so, so uh, servos have to be closed loop. And servo is an acronym. <laughs> oh, we haven't done any. No, we haven't done any sounds. I don't remember. 
servo. <laughs> hey, give it to us. What is it? Okay, it's sequentially, oh goodness gracious, <laughs> sequentially encoded rotational variable operation. No wonder it is an acronym. <laughs> that is a lot of words. <laughs> I'll bet, me included, that less than 1% of the, of the population of this earth knows what servo stands for. <laughs> I may have known that at one time, but I quickly unknew it. <laughs> well, I wonder why. <laughs> Sequentially encoded rotational variable operation. Goodness. <laughs> now imagine, it doesn't roll off the tongue as well as servo, does no, it? No, it doesn't. So I'm glad that uh, that works. So usually when we're thinking servo, uh, in be it slang, I don't know if it's actually considered good grammar or not, but a lot of times we use servo as both a noun and a verb. Uh, so if we're referring to a motor, we'll call it the servo, if it, assuming it is a permanent magnet, DC or AC servo motor. Uh, but when we talk about how it's performing, we may refer to that as servoing, oh, uh, which I, is a verb. I bet your spell check is going yeah. <laughs> to say no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what what we think of, what I think of with ser- with a servo, the, the or servoing, is that you're controlling the position accurately. And often. And so most servo control systems, so I said before, one of the advantages of a stepper motor is that it could sit still, totally idle, and totally still, and have full holding torque. A servo motor is always adjusting. Oh, okay. So it's going to have a little bit of movement in it, That's no right. matter what. Yes, because at least if you're applying, you know, if it's having to hold full torque, which usually you're not holding full torque unless you have something acting upon that motor to merit full torque. Now, on a stepper motor, it can sit there and hold full torque all day long with no nothing on it. But a servo, it works based upon a control loop, a feedback loop, and we refer to those as PIDs. What does that stand for? That stands for proportional, integral, and derivative. That's 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 actually PID is a uh, controls version, I guess you would say. So as far as controls engineering uh, and just general motor control, we we and also temperature control, a lot of different controls. When you're controlling something where you have a set point, and then you're looking at what your output is, and you're constantly adjusting the the amount of gain or the amount of request, I guess that you're putting in. So Let's go back to your scenario. Okay. Uh, when when I had when I was commanding you to take steps, I could have said, "Go to the wall." Okay. But you might not understand. You only understand steps, and so okay. I have to control you to the wall. So I know the goal of get to the wall, but you know how to take steps. And so, if we're doing temperature, for example, you can't say go to a million degrees. You have to say. Uh, turn on all your heaters and then watch the temperatures it's coming up uh, and then say, okay, continue to do full power, full power. And as you start coming close, you got to start turning turning the power down because if you don't, you're going to overshoot the temperature. And so your set point's a, a million degrees, but your rates and all those kind of things are controlled by the controller. And that's all done as part of a PID controller. Okay. And so it's using different things, proportional, integral, and derivative. That gets into tuning, and that that's something different. is way above <laughs> this podcast and the nature of this podcast. And so if you want to have questions about that or... Goodness, if you want a training on that, call our training department. We can take you through all kinds of 
proportional derivative integrals and how that applies to uh, servo motors, linear motors, things of that nature. And it also applies to temperature, but a little differently, but uh, in that industry. But uh, but anyway, so it's that tuning. Let's just call it those that you have to tune the system. Okay. And then the system is always looking at where you are and trying to decide where it wants you to be and comparing those two and telling you to adjust. It's that adjusting that I'm talking about. So when a servo is commanded to maintain zero velocity and hold torque, it's always adjusting. Okay, okay. So it might be on a micro level, but it's moving. A stepper? No. Okay. It's just a difference in the construction. So that's one of the things about the servos. But the... so. That's not a disadvantage. It's just something you need to be aware of. So when we talked about, uh, I think it was in the last podcast, we were talking about collaborative robots and vision inspection. Yeah. And just robot inspection, vision inspection. And that, that basically means you're moving a camera around on the end of a robot. If, uh, you're, if you're worried about vibration... Oh, with the camera, you don't want... You... It'll pick up on that, <laughs> yeah, because robots are servos. Every every axis oh. in a robot is a servo motor. Okay. And so they're constantly closing a loop, same thing. Now, not all robots, Some there's some six-axis articulate arm and, and even scare robots out there that use steppers, but they're still closed loop, but they're steppers. What's the potential difference between the two? I don't want to say problem, but what's the difference? If you're looking at an industrial robot, we said that industrial robots focus on what two things, Beth? Do you remember? I do. Uh, they take care, they protect themselves and they protect the end of arm tooling. That's right. But their focus is speed and oh, accuracy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was taking the collaborative. I you, yeah, I put you on the spot there. And collaboratives are more about safety. That's right. And so, uh, so collaborative robots aren't typically fast and their accuracy may not be that of an match that of an industrial robot, but nevertheless, uh, in, if you have a stepper system, closed loop stepper system on a robot, knowing what you now know about steppers, what are you going to see that's a big difference between a servo based robot and a stepper based robot? It's going to be speed. Uh, so the stepper can't go that fast without losing its you know losing its torque, uh-huh. and so you're going to have you're going to be forced to go to slower uh, slower speeds. And so um, that's just one big difference. But there are st- closed-loop stepper systems out there on robots, certainly. Uh, and a lot of times they're lower cost. But they do you, – you have trade-offs. There's, there's nothing for free. Yeah. And so um, – but honest, going back to the rotary servo, uh, so a rotary servo advantages. The design of a rotary servo means that while we're able to get full torque at zero speed, less the adjusting that's going on, uh, we're still going to refer to that as a zero speed – we can hold constant torque all the way to the point of the rated speed of that servo motor. Now, the top speed when we start seeing the uh, torque drop off on a stepper, I said it was around 9, probably could be or even around 8 RPS, revs per second, all the way up to, which is, which is about 48 RPMs, I guess. Is that right? Four, I'm sorry, 480. I said 60 RPMs earlier, didn't I? I think so. Yeah, 600 RPMs. Okay. Um, Correction. So here. Wait. <laughs> so yeah, my math was wrong. It's early. So, uh, but a servo motor, a servo motor, it typically in most of the servo motors, with the Scala motors that we that we rec- represent and partner with, uh, three thousand RPMs is where that happens. So instead of 
600 RPMs. Now we're talking about 3,000 RPMs. And then that's just where the torque starts dropping off. Oh. Now on a servo motor, or a stepper motor, I said earlier at 10 RPMs, you're, you're, I'm sorry, 10 revs per second, 600 RPMs, you're already down the curve, You usually, depending on this, the construction. But usually at 10 revs per second, your torque is probably half of what what it would be at zero speed. Okay. Uh, but at a servo motor at 3,000 RPMs, it's still 100% of what it would be. So at 6,000 RPMs is when it's actually zero. So what's half of that? 4,500 RPMs? Half of 3,000 is 1,500. So 4,500 RPMs? Just checking my math this morning. <laughs> or I made one mistake. So at 4,500 RPMs, you're about where torque-wise, percentage-wise, where the stepper would have been so you can get some really high speeds and still good torque with a servo motor and that's the advantage of that okay uh, so yeah and it comes down again to the construction or the limitations are that it has to be tuned but i saw where yuskawa's got some tuning lists well it's still being tuned oh. it's just being it's kind of ai for servo motors oh okay so it's a learning uh, process where it's constantly monitoring. Uh, we calculate things called the inertia of the system. And so it's constantly doing that calculation itself based upon what it's feeling. And so uh, if it realizes the load has changed, then it can adjust what it does. I mean, if I tell you, here's a plastic bucket, pick it up and it's empty and you pick it up. And then I put you know, 30 pounds of stuff in that bucket and say, pick it up, then you're going to notice a difference Mm -hmm. and your brain is going to say, apply more force to pick this bucket up. Uh, If you apply the same force with the empty bucket, you're going to throw the bucket through the ceiling, right? Uh So that's what the Escala system is able to do is with this, they call it tuningless. It means you don't have to mess with it. We'll take care of it. Okay. And it learns and teaches itself as it goes. Oh, that's that's nice. So what applications are better for servo motors or step than stepper motors? Anytime you've got to have full torque at high speeds. Okay. That's where we use servos. Okay. Servos okay. come typically at a bit higher cost than than, oh, than steppers. Okay. Although the cost of a servo motor has come down significantly over the, over the last decade and a half. But it used to be probably a 10 times difference in cost, maybe more, maybe even 20 times. But now, today, uh, the the costs have, have come closer. But typically, a stepper motor still... Because, again, if you're doing open loop, you're not having to pay for an encoder. Okay. And so, um, typically, a stepper motor is still a bit lower cost than a servo. But, again, it comes down to your application. Uh, if you need something to stop with no movement, you're not going to get there with a servo unless you can power it off and apply a brake or something along those lines and power it off if no torque, if no back torque is is needed. Okay. Why would you power it off? Because you need it to not move. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that stop production? Well, no. I mean, sometimes we power things off. So in robots, if, uh, well, not even that, sometimes we, there are systems out there uh, where uh, we want to move, especially on a vertical. So we may use the servo to really apply some, some, some torque to to raise, you know, to lift up that thirty pound bucket okay. and hold it and suspend it in the air. But once it gets there, it's just going to hold it for. Oh, so you can ever. just stop it there. So we can apply a brake and then and disable the servo. Which, by the way, this is a. What was I going to call it? This is a. Let me try it again. Brandology word of wisdom oh okay let's hear it 
So probably everybody in the whole world knows this. If you put a brake on a servo motor and it stays on, what's the servo motor always trying to do? It's trying to uh, adjust itself, isn't it? It's always it? trying to move. What's a brake trying to do? It's trying to stop it. So what happens? I would think it'd wear out. Yes. <laughs> and so it'll heat up the motor a lot because it's trying to move against a load that's not letting it move. And it can also heat up the brake because of friction. And so if you're going to apply a brake, oh, it's like put a- it in position, apply the brake, and then turn off the motor. Okay. And then turn on the motor, release the brake, and go from there. That's a brandology word to the wise. But yeah, that, that's why we would do that. Okay. So I just said something, though. Use a servo motor to lift a bucket. Yeah. So how did they do that? I mean, if it's round. <laughs> it's round. It's rotating. So <laughs> if I you guess don't you, have a pulley system. If you're, well, if you're, you, could, you could be like the, the, uh, the old you know, the wells that had buckets that would yeah. go down in there and just extend that shaft out and spin it with a rope on it and just let it take up all the slack and pull the bucket up. That's one way. Well, there's got to be a better way, Brandon. <laughs> um, <laughs> a more efficient way. <laughs> well, especially if you want to make sure the bucket gets down on the ground and, or down under the water, uh, you can't push a rope. Uh, and so how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of different ways. But before we get into those, the okay. pulley systems and the mechanical ways to do that, there's also an electrical way. Yeah? Yeah. Tell we, us about it. We refer to that as a linear motor. Okay. These are these are the flat ones, right? Well, they can be. They oh. can be flat. They can be, uh, as far as the magnet stack, can be round. Uh, we represent a company called Linmont that makes the shafts for smaller motors that are, the magnet shaft is, is round. But let's talk about the construction. And then Yaskawa makes the flat platen type, we call platen type linear motors uh and they can they can move the world uh with those things they're extremely strong but let's talk about that so we talked about a rotary servo Uh uh-huh and similar to a stepper you had permanent magnet on the rotor okay and you had coils on the stator Uh we talked about how rotor meant rotation and stator means static or still you have to flip those two on their head first of all so in a linear motor the rotor doesn't move, and the stator moves. Okay. And so, remember, the stator is the coils. Uh-huh. The rotor is the permanent magnets. And so, imagine, if you will, and everybody's got to use their mind's eye here, to take a servo motor that has stator windings, you know, electrical coil windings on the outside, mm-hmm. and then on the inside in a circle, again, glued to the shaft, are permanent magnets. And we're going to not cut the whole thing in half, but we're going to cut each one uh, so that we can cut it on one side and then fold it out. Oh. So you know, think of think of, of of slicing. I don't know what would you slice slicing something that's round and then folding it out. Maybe maybe an orange. So so you slice one side of the orange and then you you basically fold it out flat. So all the little orange slices now are laying flat across the table where they were round inside of the orange. Okay. But they're still connected. So we're going to do that and and lay everything flat. And so the magnets specifically is what I'm getting at. We're going to, instead of having those magnets mounted in a round fashion, we're going to mount them on a flat surface, long surface. Okay. And then we're going to basically mount the stator, which is the windings, above those magnets at a certain diff- distance. Now, there's got to be some me- mechanical st- stuff come into play here because you need to make sure that that... That the windings and the magnets don't touch. Yeah. But you also want to make sure, remember, that uh, we put the nail inside of the coil and we put electricity on it and we pick things up with it because it was magnetized. If that nail was too far away from this stuff, it wouldn't. 
it have work. an influence mm-hmm. on it. And so you got to get the magnet close, the stator, which is an electromagnet, close close enough to the permanent magnet that you actually, the north and the south poles actually can affect each other. We refer to that as a magnetic field. And so we got to be within that magnetic field. And so you have to, you have to maintain that, that we call it air gap, okay. that distance. If it's too wide, you don't get the influence. If it's too close, you you have a wreck. You have a mechanical, you know, combination. Gotcha. And so um, you want to maintain that. So there is some some things that have to come in as far as precision. But that's how the system works is now all of a sudden, as we're changing those north and south poles in the stator, it's moving linearly across these permanent magnets that are that are statically mounted. Okay. And so that's where we flip on our head. Now, all of a sudden, the magnets used to do the rotating, but they're actually in, they're static. They're stationary now. Yeah, they're okay. stationary. And the, and the, and the coils, uh, the, the electromagnets are actually moving. moving. Okay. So what's the advantage? Well, yeah. you can get some extremely crazy fast accelerations and decelerations. You can get some really large thrust uh, that's that's forced in a linear linear direction. Remember, we're not rotating anymore. Yeah. So it's not torque, it's thrust. Oh, gotcha. And so uh, torque is basically uh, thrust is basically force in a direction. And so linear motors can do some crazy fast, fantastic things. Uh, and so we are now, but we're taking electric motion, uh-huh. and instead of it rotating. It's linear. It's linear. Okay. And uh, the, so so where would you see, where you might see linear motors? Yeah. In industry, anything that's really high speed, clean room environments, because they're usually, um, there's an air gap. There's not a lot of moving parts in there, so the bearings and oh, the grease and stuff kind of go away. they keep it clean. Okay. We can use uh, food grade or clean room grade bearings and things of that nature to do all the support. Uh, and that becomes, you know, the, the manageable thing. Uh, whereas the motor, remember, it's just moving on magnetic, it's moving on magnetism. Uh-huh. So there's nothing between them but air. So there's nothing to wear out. Okay. And so their longevity is just unbelievable. Uh, the speed is just blistering fast. And it could stop quick too, can it? It stops, starts quick, all these things. Uh, the down, the downside is they're not usually inexpensive, uh, compared to a mechanical means of motion. But a linear motor, so where might you have experienced a linear motor? That's what I was wondering. If it might have been the theme park. If you oh. if you've ever been on one of these these uh, ah. roller coasters, there are some that use steam, uh, steam catapult system like like they use Hollywood. Yep. Yeah. And then there's others that that actually use linear motors to to do this to launch the cars. Wow. Uh, you know, instead of Click, 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 going up the big hill and using momentum, they do a, a horizontal. You know, you just start from a horizontal setting, seating position, and all of a sudden, bam, you're off and gone. And so that's an example of some of the stuff that they do. And so we uh, we partner with Linmont, their linear servos, and they do the smaller, more compact servos. And then Yaskawa takes it from there. So anything uh, that that's above the Linmont capacity goes with uh with Yaskawa and they can they can move mountains with okay. their stuff. Uh they focus on on you know the medium to to higher capacity and capability type systems and then Linmont catches That's everything. That's why they have below. the food grade, don't they? Linmont does. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh uh, well, and Yaskawa's got some of that stuff too with their Sigma tracks and, and the Sigma track is with Yaskawa you can buy the components. 
and put them on the floor. You got to have that floor level and all this kind of stuff and construct it all. And it's a bit more complex, but you can go the whole length of goodness gracious football fields, miles, whatever it, with a linear motor. Putting these magnets down and very precisely has to be controlled. The gear gap's got to be handled, um, and and they can move vehicles. Oh. Uh, you're not going to launch a roller coaster car with Linmont. That's no, not what they're too small. To do. Yeah. yeah, but if I'm placing a clip inside of a high speed operation on a machine and I need to knock these clips in extremely fast, and we're talking about where a million cycles happens in you know across a year or two. Uh, and not many, many years, then you want that Linmont linear motor doing that. Light payload, very fast, very quick accelerations, decelerations. And if you try to do that mechanically, as we'll talk about, uh, you don't have the wear. And so that motor's going to last a long, long time. Okay, okay. And so there's advantages to those. But uh, comparatively, uh, a linear motor is more expensive than a rotary servo motor. And that, of course, is typically more expensive than a stepper motor. So we're kind of going as far as cost goes downhill. Okay, okay. And the the flat the surface has to be completely flat, doesn't it? On a linear motor, yeah. Yeah. If you're if and if it's a pre-constructed uh, linear motor, then that's already taken care of for you. Oh, okay. And so we have that with Linmont, and again on Yaskawa, they refer to that product as the Sigma Track. And that's that means we put it all together oh, for you. I gotcha. And okay. the mechanics are there. The linear rails and stuff are supporting everything. And so when you get it, you just mount it in place. Plug and, and play. Ready to go. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it and it because it it's quite an engineering problem when you start doing some of the bigger things. Yeah, I can you know? imagine. <laughs> but so that's the electrical way to go linearly. What's the other way to go? Mechanically. Okay. And so you can get linear motion. Uh, out of a rotary type action, application or, or device, such as a motor, we just discussed how you can do it electrically, uh-huh. uh, but you can also do that mechanically. Uh, and of course, that is the definition of work, uh, is, uh, is we, we are always taking either electrical energy and turning it to mechanical energy or vice versa. So anytime we're, well, let, let's talk about the nail and the coil uh, so if we if we take the the nail and we wrap it in wire and apply electricity, we make magnetism. If that coil is open, and instead of putting electricity on it, we mechanically instead of moving a nail, but you know the nail becomes magnetized. Uh-huh. We take the nail away, and now we take a magnet, something that's that's a permanent magnet. Okay. And instead of putting a battery on the coil, we put a meter, an electrical meter that shows current. Okay. And we mechanically move the magnet in and out of the coil. Then you'll see the needle on the ammeter, which is the current meter, uh, go up. Okay. So now we're putting in mechanical energy by moving the magnet mechanically, and we're getting electrical energy. Okay. Or we put a piece of metal in there, and we put in electrical energy, and we get mechanical. we can get mechanical if the if the if the nail is allowed to move because or if it's a magnet if you put a magnet in there let's use that as an example okay. that's better than the nail the nail becomes a magnet if we put a magnet in there and just just are able to suspend it and we apply electrical energy that magnet will move so we've turned electrical into mechanical and that's what a linear motor is but there are other ways to do this and so you mentioned belts and pulleys yes yes uh so there do you want to go over the belt driven actuators actuators and yeah, so yeah there's so are actuators and motors the same thing no okay an actuator actuates something and so it converts it converts one type of motion into another 
That, okay, what you're just saying. Mm-hmm. So, in a motor, a motor creates rotary motion, and an actuator will convert that rotary motion into linear. Okay, so a linear servo motor is different than a linear actuator. That's right, because a linear servo is is creating linear motion electrically and not mechanically. Oh, okay. So a mechanical conversion of motion is going from a rotating, like a servo motor or a stepper, yeah, a, ro- a rotation and turning that into linear motion. So um, you, I don't know that anybody uses clotheslines nowadays. Maybe they do. See it in movies, though. Yeah. Well, in the city, probably. Yeah. Uh, in the cities, uh, uh, especially in the apartment, I think of apartment living up in New York, New York City, um, but you've seen in the movies and things of that nature where you have a pulley system for your clothesline. Mm-hmm. And so you hang you hang your garment on and then you you, you um, pay it out, I guess you would say, with the rope. You put the next one, the next one, the next one. Next thing you know, uh, you've got all your clothes hanging out there. So they're hanging on the bottom side of that, that rope or, or clothesline. And then it goes out through a pulley and comes back to you and it's a continuous loop. And so there's a pulley at your side. And so you can, by moving the rope, you can create linear motion. Okay. And that's the belt-driven? A belt-driven system would be two pulleys, but we wouldn't pull the rope. We would turn the pulley. Oh, okay. So we take the motor shaft and we put it inside the pulley. And then the rope, which we refer to as a belt, okay, okay, because we don't usually use ropes for that, <laughs> uh, can, can as, the, as the pulley rotates, the, the belt would follow it. And then the uh, two ends of the belt uh, would be where the clothes are. Okay. We refer to that as a carriage. And so as you move clockwise, it would go one direction. And counterclockwise, it would come back the opposite direction. And so that's a very a very uh, rudimentary version of explaining a road, uh, belt-driven actuator. And so belt-driven actuators have pulleys at each end. Okay. And then they have a carriage. Now, that carriage may be supported mechanically uh, so that it's got... You know, it's not just floating in space. Okay. Uh, but um, so if you mount something to it, it's not going to just, you know, fold over or something. And so we may do some type of a linear bearing just to support that. But what's really doing it is the fact that we're turning a pulley and the carriage moves to the left or the right. Okay. So rotary motion, putting in rotary motion from a servo motor and getting linear motion. So mechanically, we're converting motion. Okay. 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 So how do you, what do you... How would you use that? <laughs> so we have different types of actuators. So the company we partner with on actuation is Tolematic, uh, and they have a lot of different brands or different types, not brands, but different series, I should say, of actuators ranging from uh, small high speed all the way up to very big and tough actuators. Um, and so they're different types. So a belt-driven actuator is what we would be talking about here. And so belt-driven means uh, that typically you would apply that where you want high speed with relatively good accuracy. That's how, that, that gives you the advantage. That pulley gives you an advantage. So how do you know? Well, Brandon, what do you mean? Where's the advantage coming from? Well, the advantage comes from the fact that it's a pulley, not because you're getting some type of, you know, we use pulleys for uh, a mechanical advantage when we're doing multiple pulleys and stuff. And, you know, YouTube that and you can see some fantastic videos on how you can stack up pulleys and get, when you pull the rope, you can lift up, you know, a hundred pounds with very little effort in that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about mechanical advantage in that regard, but I am talking about linear advantage. And so, 
Beth, I'm sure you know how to remember how to the formula for calculating the circumference of a circle. Oh, you you went over this the other day. It <laughs> it went in one ear and went out the other. My, you know. <laughs> so we call that uh, two pi r, where r is the radius. And I should pi, have written this down. <laughs> pi is the uh, the the constant three three point one four one, whatever whatever. Uh, but two times the radius is also when you, when you double the radius of a circle that equals the diameter, so it it's just the same to say the diameter times pi. Okay. And so if you have a one inch pulley, one inch diameter times pi, which again three point one four one, then that means every time you rotate that, the belt in this case, like the rope on the clothesline, will move. If I rotate it one full revolution, it will rotate or it'll move. Um, we'll rotate 360 degrees, but we'll move the diameter, which is one inch, times 3.141. So we'll move 3.141 inches linearly. Okay. And so one revolution will give us three, basically a little over three inches of travel. And that's a bit of a mechanical advantage because if I change, if I double that, then now I'm going 6.28 inches uh, for every revolution. So we can we can quickly turn rotation into some some fast some fast movement. Uh, now there's things you have to consider. Uh, we again I mentioned inertia. You were talking about Yaskawa doing its tuning list, its automatic tuning, its calculating inertias. So there's nothing for free. There's always trade-offs. Yeah. And so as that pulley gets larger, uh, what we call the reflected inertia, how much the inertia affects the motor, uh, amplifies as well. So sometimes we have to put some types of gearing or anything like that just to help with that. Again, that's more of an advanced topic for sizing, something we can certainly help with, uh, but not in this podcast. <laughs> but uh, so a lot of your belt-driven systems, though, will require uh, the addition of a gearbox if you're using a servo, uh, rotary servo motor. Okay. But that's how they work. And so we can use belt-driven actuators to move quickly, and the accuracy is reasonable. Now, still, it's good. But the other type of linear actuator is a ball screw actuator, or just a screw-type actuator. Uh, used to, we used to choose between Acme screws and ball screws. So what's the difference? An Acme screw is kind of like, uh, again, I'm going very low on this, but uh, a, a nut and a bolt. Okay. And so the bolt is the carriage, the thing that moves left to right. Okay. And as I turn the bolt... If the bolt is fixed, the nut will move up and down the screw, the shaft of the bolt, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, an Acme screw is just that. It's it's a it's kind of a more friction based thread. It's a you know metal on metal or something along those lines. A ball screw we replace the nut uh, and and the screw, but we replace the nut with a ball bearing based. Uh, nut, if you will. So, uh, and then the screw becomes, has to be ground so that it will handle those ball, ball bearings. And so now all of a sudden you don't have just metal going through threads of another piece of metal. You actually have these ball bearings that are rolling in grooves that resemble a screw thread. Oh, like a pea pod? Ball, if you have the balls, like a, if you open up. You're talking about peas you eat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those resemble ball bearings. And uh, I guess the pod resembles a ball bearing race so (laughs) yeah that's a good one Beth. my analogies Hmm. peapods might need to work on that (laughs) um 
No, yeah. I mean, so it's a ball bearing, so it's rolling, so it's less friction, things of that nature. And so you don't see Acme screws much anymore like you used to. Uh, Ball bearings used to be... The, the ball screws were more expensive, but again, those costs have come down. And so much, in fact, that most people just stick with a ball screw-based system. So it's lower friction and high accuracy. Okay. But now, all of a sudden, uh, a, a typical pitch or lead now... So screws have uh, so many threads per inch. Mm-hmm. That's saying if you uh, every time you rotate the screw... If you had one thread per inch, then every time you rotate it, that nut would move an inch. Okay. Okay. Um, Because it's following the threads. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ball screws work in similar fashion, but a typical lead for a ball screw might be 0.1 or 0.2 inches per revolution. And so now the servo motor, if it turns one time, is moving, if it's a 0.1 inch lead or pitch, uh, the carriage is now going to move linearly 0.1 inches, a tenth of an inch. Okay. Now remember, on the belt-driven... It was it was a lot longer. We were moving the three diameter, inches yeah. with a one-inch pulley. Mm-hmm. And so, but now the accuracy is unbelievable with the oh, ball screw. okay. So we can use ball screws for moving typically slower speeds, but higher accuracy. We can also get a lot of thrust force, kind of like the linear servo motor gives a lot of thrust force. We can get even more thrust force from a ball screw because we get the mechanical advantage of a screw. Okay. So you've seen... Oh, instead of... I got gotcha. you. Okay. So the mechanical advantage instead of a screw... Instead of a nail. <laughs> yeah. So a nail, uh, you use a hammer to drive a nail, big heavy hammer, or you use a really light screwdriver to drive a screw. Why is that? Well, a screw is a simple machine. Then the design, it's considered a simple machine in the way... It, and so you can take rotary motion and you're driving the screw in, which is linear motion... But if you tried to take a nail and press it with your hand, no. <laughs> you're not going to press it into the board, but you can take a screw and drive it into material uh, fairly easily. And so that's the advantage of a screw. And so you can get high high thrust force, and that's what you're doing is you're driving or thrusting that screw, that piece of metal, into that piece of wood or whatever it is. And so you can get really high press forces. So we use... We combine it with, with our Yaskawa servo motors and the Tolematic actuators. We can do presses, servo presses and things of that nature to where we can press parts into electrically. So why wouldn't you do that hydraulically or or pneumatically, which is with air? Well, you can, but hydraulics are dirty. I was going to say they're going to be messy. (laughs) They're messy. Uh, And then though you get good controllability out of a, out of a hydraulic, if you have that have you had the capability to control the hydraulic valve? We actually refer to those as servo valves. Oh, okay. Because we're servoing the valve to control the flow and things of that nature. Um, but you can use an all-electric system, so a rotary servo motor, into a, a ball screw type actuator. So when we're pressing, though, usually it's not it's not a carriage in the middle, you know, rolling up and down an actuator. So we refer to that as a rod type actuator. Okay. So. A linear, I'm sorry, a belt-driven actuator is always rodless. rodless. Okay. Yeah. But a ball screw actuator can be rod or rodless. And so rod, again, resembles a cylinder, hydraulic cylinder, pneumatic cylinder, something like that. And uh, and then because the screw, the, capable, you know, the screw is a simple machine, we're converting rotary motion into linear motion with a screw, uh, we can produce really high thrust force at decent speed and good accuracy. Okay. And so that's where we use 
ball screw systems a lot. We also use them in Cartesian systems for positioning because we where we need the accuracy. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So what's uh, what are the advantages of rod or rodless? Well, it's it, a rod acts like a rod, and a rodless doesn't. <laughs> and so, um, if you you can take uh, so you can take a, a rodless actuator and and apply to it or mount to the carriage something that's going to press up or down. But when you pull your press, you know whatever your part is, your your end of arm tooling, I guess you would call it. When you pull that up, you still have the actuator in the way. Oh, okay. So it's got to stick down or across or whatever. A rod type is extending and then retracting. And so when it retracts, there's nothing behind it. There's nothing left there to get in the way. And so if you're having to press something and then come up and get out of the way so that it can progress through, a rod-type actuator is a better solution. Okay, okay. What's Um, next? Well, I was looking... I'm I'm totally off the outline. You did. Uh, So there's another advantage between the ball screw versus the belt-driven. They're about the same prices, aren't they, though? Well, they, uh, usually a ball screw is a, a, a little bit more expensive than a belt. Okay. Um, I just have two dollar signs on it. Well, because you, but you, but but again, and there's some that'll argue. Well, you can do this with my tuning, and this gets back to tuning of the servo and stuff like that. Uh, my rule of thumb is, if it's a belt-driven actuator, go ahead and budget putting a gearbox on. Oh. And if it's a ball screw, you may not have to. And it may can be just what we call direct drive, which means the motor is connected directly to the mm-hmm. coupled to the ball screw, and that's it. That's all you need. And so that's where the extra cost can come into a, a, a belt-driven okay. actuator okay. is because you've got a servo motor in the actuator plus the gearbox, um, and then but whereas a a ball screw actuator, you would have just the motor and the actuator. That's it. What's, what are, are there any other limitations to the ball screw actuators? Well, you you just get to the point where you can't go any faster. Okay. Uh, And then length comes into play. So, so bell driven actuators can go very long. Ah, yep. Yeah. A ball screw, uh, it's a piece of steel. Uh, when you start getting, there's, there's all kinds of tricks you can do to extend them. But once you start getting to a certain point, that steel screw becomes more like a jump rope and starts what we call wagging. Uh, and so if you start spinning it fast, it's going to start wobbling in, in air, um, kind of like a, a jump rope would in between points. And so that becomes catastrophic usually uh, with bearings bearings and the supports don't don't like that very much. But uh, so you want to avoid that, avoid the wag. But that's that's one limitation of the mechanics of, of a ball screw. Okay. It really comes down to length. Okay. This, uh, a lot of this sounds a lot really complex so how can elatech help people <laughs> well you know this is what we do with our so we've we've talked the, about our pre-engineered solutions yeah i wanted to talk about the smart servo actuators yeah um, exactly the, that's part the pre-engineered of our that's part solution. of our pre-engineered yeah, solutions yeah. so, and so we've done all this work for you especially in the cartesian based systems so where we would use a cartesian based system if you're if you're doing an xy or xyz type application maybe you're doing uh, dispensing maybe you're doing uh, cutting you know uh, different types of cutting systems things of that nature uh, gluing maybe even inspection that kind of thing uh, but you want to do a cartesian system to do that and we would use a Cartesian system in those versus why wouldn't you just use an, a robot? You talk about robots with cameras. Why wouldn't you just use a robot, Brandon? Well, if you've got a really long area or larger area, say a four foot by six foot area or something like four by eight uh, area, then that's 
not easily done with a robot because I of reach. I could see the robot have to be huge. It would have to be <laughs> just because of the reach. Yeah. And and so, you know, you're you're and you don't have those types of reaches with collaborative. So you're going to be guarding that sucker. We've talked about that. <laughs> So it takes up a lot of floor space, whereas a, a Cartesian system, we can be exactly four feet by eight feet and not one inch more other than, you know, things that we need just to guard the system. Uh, so Cartesian systems make a lot of sense in that regard. So we have put together actuators uh, for, for Cartesian systems and engineered those already. If it's not exactly right, we can engineer those for you, size everything up so that you know that it's going to work and perform at the speeds and, the, and the, the thrust and torques and things that you need. You don't have to worry about the inertia stuff and all the stuff that I went on about. And even the tuning uh, we can take care of. So And the sizing? The sizing and that, yeah, <laughs> All everything. that fun stuff. <laughs> and so, and then we have just our, our rod type servo actuators. So if you have a, a pressing application or a dispensing application that requires a rod type where you're pushing on something to in order to, to dispense, um, those systems are already put together and sized. And so we can take them from there or we can make some quick adjustments and get you squared away there. So it's not a... Industrial automation, it doesn't have to. It's supposed to be taking complex topics and bringing them down to a way that, that folks can understand. And this is just a really com- can be a really complex subject. And so I guess the, the way that we do that is say, just give us a call. We'll, we'll, we'll walk you through all that stuff if you need it. Um, it's, not, it's not the end of the world, uh, and we do it a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, you and I talked about that for this topic uh, that we we went back and forth as far as the complexity associated and did this make a good topic? And I hope, I sincerely hope everybody has gotten something from it. I've learned. I've learned even after we talked the other day, I've learned more today. mm -hmm. So (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, of course, it's something that's near and dear to my heart because it's one of the first things I started doing as an electrical engineer. I didn't know that all electrical engineers should know how to calculate and size motors. I just had a mentor uh, who was an electrical engineer as well, but had been around it for years. He taught me all this stuff when I first started my career, and and again, I just I just really I enjoy it. Um, it's really cool making motion. It's it's like the cool part of building a house is framing when you frame the walls, okay. and the boring parts, all the stuff that's inside the wall, the insulation and that kind of stuff, nobody wants to do. But uh, but when you start standing those walls up, you're really seeing See things it, happen quickly. Yeah. Well, motion control would be the same way. Once you're actually starting to make motion, you actually see things happening. Robotics, same way. And so, and honestly, data is the same way. And that's the reason I tra- my attraction to those to those uh, uh, types of applications has, has always uh, kind of led our company. But uh, but yeah, that, that our pre-engineered systems takes a lot of that complexity out. So please, 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 if you don't understand something I've said, or if I've, I've hand wave through something and you want more information, let us know, reach out. Uh, because it, the main thing is it's not anything to be fearful of. We can get you through and motion control has come so much further than it, it once was. Uh, when I started, uh, we used to have to actually specify the magnet stacks and the coil windings and everything, oh the word. whole construction of the motor. Oh my goodness and, gracious. Uh, <laughs> and it would take six to eight weeks to get the motor because they would build it to our specifications. Wow. And and that's not 
that's not this stuff that you would expect working at a laboratory or a research facility. This was just this was just how the the industry was. Wow. Then. And so it's come a long way. It has. And and you had motor companies that manufactured the the servo motors or stepper motors, and then you had other companies that manufactured the what we call the drives or amplifiers that drive those things. And then another company yet would make the controller that would control the drives that were control driving the motors. And so the drive, of course, handles all that switching that we talked about, the north-south, north-south of the coils and that kind of stuff. So you have to have that component in addition to just the motor. But yeah, back then, we had to work with three different companies and figure out how to get it all working together. And there was not a lot of standards, and it was a crazy thing. Well, now, nearly 30 years later... You've got pre-engineered systems that are already put together for you that you can just put in. <laughs> and and tuning tuningless servos. The and AI so, in yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah, and so so it's come a long way. Uh, but I think there's also uh, a lot of benefit to just having an understanding of how the system works, how, how the pieces, especially from a troubleshooting standpoint. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times with, with our training, uh, through our training center, uh, when we're training maintenance folks, we really focus in not, we're not focusing on programming a servo system. Uh, we're focusing in on how to troubleshoot that servo system and, and the telltale signs that let you know that if, you know, if this is what it looks like, these are the things that it could be and, and, and not these. So we can eliminate things because their jobs are to get the piece of equipment up and going as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and they do that by, um, by, by, you know, being able to understand these, these things lead to this and, and this has nothing to do with that. So we can eliminate things and that kind of thing. Okay. So just teaching that whole troubleshooting method. But uh, anyway, off topic. No, it's it's right on topic. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Ellis, staying on topic. So that said, um, it's been an interesting podcast. It has. I hope people have enjoyed it. And uh, please message us if you've got any questions about this topic and or if you want if you want Brandon to go into more deeper topics more complex ones let us know and you know I'll be confused the whole time but somebody <laughs> you guys will understand I don't think there's anybody I, if, if you request that then you're probably my best friend in the world but uh, I don't know that the majority of folks would say yeah let's let's get into some physics of how motors work and that kind of thing but uh, but it is a it is a uh, it's a fantastic uh, thing that we do in industrial automation, and so hopefully you got something out of today. Uh, if you if you want to make fun of something I've said or, or my bad math skills at the beginning, that kind of stuff, then uh, then sure certainly use the comment field with that. Be 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 nice. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, good podcast today. So www I always forget forget this www.elitech.com is our website e l l i t e k and there's all kinds of resources on that website that you can check out but our pre-engineered solutions are part of that as well as our robot cells and then just the partners that we've mentioned today from Yuskawa to Linmont to many others um Tulematic Tulematic as well mm-hmm. yes thank you and and so please uh get on our website check some of that stuff out give us a call and then Hanwha Robotics we announced that at the beginning of this podcast is our new collaborative line and it's a great 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 collaborative option we have other collaborative options with some of the the industrial lines that we carry but what we like about Hanwha is it's got a really great ROI return on investment uh, because it is a lower cost unit um, and it's extremely capable, but I really love the interface and how simplistic it is. Yeah. So 
Give us a call, free demo, or give us an email, free demo at elatech.com for and that. That email will be on the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank so you. So they'll be there. And if you guys want to give us a call, shout out at us. It's 865-409-1555. And all our social handles will be on the show notes as well. So Thanks for joining us. Yeah. yeah so this was... This Fun was for right, me. Yeah, it was right up your alley. <laughs> I was lost we, most of the time, but yeah. you brought it back. We so. didn't have. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did a couple. Let me just get some sound effects in here. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I, I was so focused in, uber focused on you were <laughs> on motion that I forgot. I forgot that I had control of the of the sounds. So thank you guys for joining us today, and uh, and thank you so much for continuing to subscribe and to download and stream our podcast. We appreciate all the yeah. feedback we've gotten. Please rate and review rate and review. subscribe. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so give us a like if you like what you're hearing, and uh, and then certainly share us with all, all the folks that you know, and, and we can continue to build our audience. We've, we are now approaching 1,500. Yes. Getting close to 1,500 downloads. So let's keep after that. We'll keep making some good, hopefully, uh, good material for you guys. So thank you very much. Beth, have a great day. Hey, thank you for your expertise, Brandon. Yeah. Thanks for calling it that. <laughs> expertise or obsession, we don't know. Guys, have a great week. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.